I'd like for you all to turn to Jeremiah chapter 37. Jeremiah chapter 37. We are now in about, I guess, the last 16 chapters of the book of Jeremiah, and so we are going to press on with God's help to get through this whole book, and uh, certainly it has been a a tremendous uh, lesson in the prophecies of of Jeremiah, not only as it related to the children of Israel and the children of Judah at his time, but uh, having seen so many things in the book of Jeremiah concerning uh, the last days, the times in which we live. So many lessons in the book of Jeremiah for us even now. But as we come now to chapter 37, we're continuing on in a, in a time period that, uh, uh, that has to uh, do with the siege of Babylon upon the city of, of Jerusalem. Uh, we noted a few times in previous chapters how out of sync, so to speak, the, uh, the teaching has been because it hasn't been quite chronological. In other words, it's not uh, going from day to day. At, at times, Jeremiah takes us back in time, moves us forward a little bit. Uh, but we're still uh, in that time frame of where Babylon or the Babylonians are now at the, at the walls of the city of Jerusalem. And um, during this particular time, there has been this uh, alliance that uh, Israel, or I should say Judah, has had with, uh, with Egypt. And so we're going to see briefly an appearance of the Egyptian army uh, coming to kind of help out uh, Judah because Babylon is their enemy as well. But um, so with that time frame in mind, in verse 1 it says of Jeremiah 37, Now King Zedekiah... Being the last king of Judah before the uh, fall into captivity. Now King Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, reigned instead of Coniah, or Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, made king in the land of Judah. But neither he nor his servants, nor the people of the land, gave heed to the words of the Lord, which he spoke by the prophet Jeremiah. Now I want you to notice something about verse 2. Neither the king Zedekiah, nor his servants, nor the people. That's pretty much everybody in Jerusalem and in Judea. Judea. Neither he nor his servants nor the people of the land gave heed to the words of the Lord. In other words, they did not listen to God's word, which he spoke by the prophet Jeremiah. And Zedekiah the king sent Yehukal, the son of Shelemiah, and Zephaniah, the son of Maaseiah, the priest, to the prophet Jeremiah, saying, Pray now to the Lord our God for us. Now Jeremiah was coming and going among the people, for they had not yet put him in prison. And then Pharaoh's army came up from Egypt. And when the Chaldeans, being also the Babylonians, when the Chaldeans who were besieging Jerusalem heard news of them, they departed from Jerusalem. Now, how many people today want God's help, but they don't want to hear God's word? Now listen carefully to the question. How many people want today, want God's help, 
but they don't want to hear God's Word. I hate to say it, but that's a lot of people. It seems somewhat akin to wanting all the help that the government can dish out without feeling any obligation or, or need to obey the laws of the land for which, uh, from which they want the help. People today always crying out for help, give me help, give me help, but they don't want to obey the laws. Same thing. Zedekiah wanted God's help, but he did not want to listen to God's word. So this has been the modus operandi of this last king of Judah, Zedekiah. Before Babylon lets fall their hammer on Jerusalem. Here was an ungodly man, known for his indecision, known for his vacillation, in other words, his indecisiveness, his wavering, as, as we shall see in this and the next chapter, as well as his selfish promotion and greed. And it appears that he was not alone. No one seemed to be on the side of the Lord and his prophet. Remember back in chapter 34 that the Babylonians had already surrounded the walls of Jerusalem to lay siege on the city. And Zedekiah sought help. Now listen, he sought help. And Jeremiah told him back in chapter 34 to let their, their Jewish slaves go free. They were to release them in the seventh year of service according to the law, but, but they weren't doing that. They were disobedient to the Lord. So Jeremiah says, let your slaves go free. So now, with that happening, at the very same time, the Egyptians were coming against the Babylonians from the south, just as we've already read. The Egyptians were coming against the Babylonians from the south, and as the Babylonians caught wind of this, as they heard that the Egyptians were coming up, they broke off their attack of Jerusalem and went after the Egyptians. Now, because they got away from the city, what was the thought in Jerusalem? Everybody was saying, wow, we don't have the Babylonians bothering us anymore. They're gone. Maybe our prophets were right. What were the prophets of Jerusalem saying to them? Listen, everything's going to be okay. God's going to deliver us. Eventually God's going to deliver us. Just like he miraculously, miraculously delivered Hezekiah from, from the Assyrians. But that wasn't the case. See, thinking they were now delivered from the threat of the Babylonians and the crisis, uh, and the crisis was now over, they took their slaves back. What did God want them to do? Set their slaves free. What did they do when they said, you know, hey, everything's okay? They took their slaves back. It was all about them. It was never about what God said. It was never about what God was saying to them. The, that was a big mistake, folks. Because the Babylonians were coming back, and the Lord God of Israel takes very seriously any covenant made with him. Especially the one they had just broken. Now listen, historically, Pharaoh Hophra, who reigned in Egypt from 589 to 570 B.C., would actually leave. You know, here they come, they're coming up, and they, the Babylonians say, let's go deal with the Egyptians. And, and, and so they go to meet them, and, and this Pharaoh Hophra, who was leading the Egyptian army, would actually leave before engaging in any battles with the Babylonians. 
And so when they left, the Babylonians came back to Jerusalem. And that brings us here to verse 3, what we just read. Zedekiah the king sent Jehuchal, the son of Shalemiah, and Zephaniah, the son of Mosiah. You'll notice Zedekiah himself doesn't come. He sends these servants to the prophet Jeremiah saying what? Pray now to the Lord our God for us. Again, a second time, pray for us. Now Jeremiah was coming and going among the people, for they had not yet put him in prison. And then we see how Pharaoh's army came up from Egypt, and when the Chaldeans were besieging Jerusalem, heard news of them, they departed from Jerusalem. So with all that had transpired now, first of all consider, first of all consider that the Lord would not answer their prayers. You know, there's a lot of people in the world today that, uh, you know, they say, you know, I, I, don't, I don't much believe in God, but I believe in prayer. What are they saying? They're, they're saying that there's an act to do, there's a thing to do, there's a methodology involved, but there may not be a God that listens. But I, if I pray, I feel better. Right? Consider, God does hear prayer. God does answer prayer. But why does God answer prayer? And whose prayers does He answer? You see, the Lord would not answer their prayers. Why? Because the people had heaped Sin upon sin upon sin and upon sin in their lives. And they had gone too far in their wicked behavior, having sinned beyond the point of ever repenting. See, the only way we can make, I could make that judgment or anybody could make that judgment now is because it's historic. It's already happened. They would not repent. And God said, I'm going to judge you. And God knew they weren't going to repent. So his judgment was going to be true on them. And no matter how many times, do you remember back a few chapters earlier, actually a lot of chapters earlier, God told Jeremiah, don't pray for the people anymore? You remember that. Why? Because he already knew they would not repent. They would not turn. So the people here were heaping sin upon sin still, even with Babylon all around them, and the armies of Babylon all around them. Still in their wicked behavior, not repenting, not turning to God, and sitting beyond the point of ever repenting. How far back had they gotten the warning? They had gotten the warning back during the time of Moses, back during the time of the law, back during the time of the second giving of the law, which is Deuteronomy chapter 20, uh, I'm sorry, Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 26. Through 28, Behold, I set before you today a blessing and a curse. They have had this promise. They have had this warning from the very beginning. Behold, I set before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today. Folks, I don't understand how you could miss that. I don't understand how anybody could miss when God says, I said before you today a blessing. The blessing is this. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, you get blessed. But then he says, and the curse, if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God, 
But turn aside from the way which I command you today to go after other gods which you have not known. What was one of their great sins? They had become idol worshippers. They had forsaken the God of Israel. They had built their high places of worship of other gods. They were all around, all around Jerusalem. They were all in the high places. Yet they would go each and every week to the temple. They would go and offer a sacrifice to God. They would fulfill their particular obligation, but they still would go out to their own places and worship other gods. God gave them enough time to repent, and then He said, that's enough. No more. Listen to Solomon in Proverbs chapter 1. When he says in verses 29 through 33, because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. Folks, there are people living today that are doing just that, who call themselves Christians, but they're not living the life that they need to be living. They hate knowledge and they do not choose the fear of the Lord. They choose to do what they want to do. They would have none of my counsel and despise my every rebuke. Therefore they shall eat the fruit of their own way and be filled to the full with their own fancies. For the turning away of the simple will slay them and the complacency of fools will destroy them. But whoever listens to me will dwell safely and will be secure without fear of evil. God makes so many things so clear. But it becomes the choice that people make. May I give you even the words of Jesus Christ himself, who said in John 12, verse 48, He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. Here it is. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. The word that I have spoken. The Bible tells us that Jesus is the very word, the very communication of God to us. Secondly, a false and futile hope would spring up in the people's hearts. A false and a futile hope. Go, go to Jeremiah 37 verse 5 now and go on. Then Pharaoh's army came up from Egypt. And when the Chaldeans who were besieging Jerusalem heard news of them, they departed from, from Jerusalem. They didn't depart because they were afraid. They departed because they went to go face their other enemy. And notice verse 6. Then the word of the Lord came to the prophet Jeremiah, saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Thus you shall say to the king of Judah, who sent you to me to inquire of me, Behold, Pharaoh's army, which has come up to help you, will return to Egypt, to their own land. And the Chaldeans shall come back and fight against this city and take it and burn it with fire. You see, the withdrawal of the Babylonian army aroused great hope in the hearts of Zedekiah and the citizens of Jerusalem. There are times when people would say, you know, I'm doing such and such a thing, you know, against God, but you know, it doesn't seem like He's coming after me. As a matter of fact, what I was most worried about is not uh, pressing on me anymore. So maybe I'm getting away scot-free. The Bible says sin will find you out. They probably thought at that time that their own optimistic prophets, because they had their own prophets. They didn't want to listen to God's prophets like Jeremiah. 
They had their own prophets. So they, they had the ones that were optimistic and going, you know, saying everything's going to be fine. They're, they're going to be all right. And it had all been all along. The Lord was, you know, delivering them as, as, as he had delivered them during that reign of, of Hezekiah, as I mentioned before. But their hope was short-lived. Their trust in Egypt was to no avail. They had neither repented of their sin nor had they turned back to the Lord. By the way, that alliance with Egypt, it was against God's will. God told them not to have alliances with other nations. God was supposed to be their rear guard. God was supposed to be their shield. God was supposed to be their protection. God was supposed to be their leader. But instead they made these alliances. They started trusting in man rather than trusting in the Lord. So the people's power in the, or the people's trust in the power of man to save them was nothing more than a false hope. Man can't save you, folks. The people of Jeremiah's day was, the people were overlooking one thing. They were overlooking the fact that people fail and they break their promises to others. Egypt was not their friend. They were, as people say today, strange bedfellows. Why? Because they both were enemies of Babylon. But they weren't friends. The people of Jeremiah's day needed to realize that, but they didn't. And so their power was only temporary. And that power fades as quickly as the flower of the field. And it isn't to be trusted. Man's power is not to be trusted. Man's wisdom is not to be trusted. Man's ways are not to be trusted. As a matter of fact, Psalm 118, verses 8 and 9, when it comes to the words of the Bible, Psalm 118, verses 8 and 9, would be like the very center of the Bible to the point where you could just balance the whole Bible on these two verses. This is the very center of the Bible as far as numbers of verses are concerned on either side. And this is what it says. It is better to trust the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust the Lord than to put confidence in princes. It's better to trust the Lord. I don't know about you, but that seems pretty simple to me. Better to trust the Lord than to trust in the confidence of the flesh. Do you remember Paul in the book of Philippians when he's giving his, his testimony? He talks about the fact that he had at one time a lot of confidence in his own flesh. And he kind of mentions, you know, about him being born a, a into the Jewish faith uh, at the age of eight, uh, eight days, I should say, that uh, he was circumcised uh, according to the law, that uh, he was a Hebrew of the Hebrews, he was of the tribe of Benjamin. And he goes on, you know, saying that he was, had become, as, as a Pharisee, uh, uh, concerning righteousness, he was zealous, you know, for righteousness and all. And he said, but, but when it came right down to it, that was all confidence in the flesh. When he came to know Christ, all of that became as dung. And so, it's better to put trust, our trust in the Lord than in man and in the flesh. Consider now the lesson that the Lord wants to show us in the next passage. Look at verses 9 and 10 of Jeremiah 37. Thus says the Lord, Do not deceive yourselves, saying, The Chaldeans will surely depart from us, for they will not depart. 
Now, verse 10 is a tremendously powerful verse. Listen to what it says. For though you had defeated the whole army of the Chaldeans who fight against you, and there remained only wounded men among them, they would rise up, every man in his tent, and burn the city with fire. If, all, if, if you guys actually would go out there and defeat the Babylonians, even their wounded would somehow get up and come and burn your city. <laughs> Pretty heavy thought. Well, first of all, this wasn't exactly what Zedekiah wanted to hear from, Ze- from Jeremiah. He was probably hoping that Jeremiah would declare that the whole Chaldean threat was over. Instead, he promised that they would not only come back, but there was nothing that could keep the Babylonians from wiping out Jerusalem. Here's the lesson. You ready? Here's the lesson. You can try and fight against the will of God all you want. You can try and fight against the will of God all you want. It might even look like you have the upper hand. But you will not be victorious. God had made it very clear. Babylon is an instrument in my hand. And even if you had the slightest victory over them, or the greatest victory, they're still an instrument in my hand. And I'm using them to teach you a lesson. And even if Babylon's army suffered defeat, the wounded soldiers would recover, arise from their beds, and continue their attack against Jerusalem. The wounded themselves would capture and burn Jerusalem. Nothing, absolutely nothing, could stop God's hand of judgment from falling upon Jerusalem. For the king and the people had rejected the Lord and His holy word. That's what they had done. Deliverance, in other words, was out of the question. Deliverance was out of the question for them. And remember this. They were God's chosen people. So what does that say to us? Don't be presumptuous. Don't be presumptuous with God about the things that you think you can do even as a believer. And forget the fear of the Lord. Now, please understand this. As Christians, yes, we are saved by the work of Jesus Christ. Let's not forget that. We are saved by that work of Jesus on the cross, taking upon Himself our sins. We are saved through that work of Jesus shedding His blood for the very forgiveness of our sins. We are saved by that work of Jesus when having died for our sins was placed in a tomb and took our sins into that tomb. But three days later, arises from the dead and we are blessed by that salvation. We are blessed by that work of salvation. Therefore, let's not take advantage of that. Let's not take it for granted. Let's not make it an opportunity for us. You see, Jesus Christ is alive. And if He's alive... I certainly want to live for Him. And I certainly want you to live for Him. See, and there's, a, there's, a, there's an interesting thing. I don't want you to live under 
the fear of terror. I want you to live with the fear of the Lord that says, I honor and I respect God with everything that I say, do, and think. In other words, our fear of the Lord is one of awe. It is one of respect. It is one of reverence. You know, the, the world today, they don't believe in the Lord. They don't believe in God. You know, they say they don't believe in God. Interesting thing, it, it, there's a book, uh, I don't even want to mention it, but in this, this book, uh, uh, there, was a, there was a character who, who for 50 years, he, he loved a, 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 a woman who uh, he could never marry within those 50 years, and so he always thought about her. But for somehow in their later years, he finally had an opportunity to meet with her and, and uh, you know, so he comes to tell her how he felt all these years for her. Uh, make a long story short, uh, she had been a Sunday school teacher and she asked him the question, do you believe in God? And the man said this, he says, no, I don't believe in God, but I'm afraid of him. What an insight. You see, that is actually biblically true. Man will say they do not believe in God, but read the book of Romans chapter 1. You see, there are no atheists. Everybody knows there's a God. They just choose not to believe. Isn't that interesting? I believe in God. I, I don't believe in God, but, but I'm afraid of Him. What an interesting thought. Well, we believe in God and we're not afraid of Him because He's our God, He's our Father and His Son is our, is our, is our brother and He calls us His friends and we're more than just His servants, you see. But the fact of the matter is if we honor that friendship, if we honor that fatherhood of God over us as believers, if we honor that closeness of, of being joint heirs with Christ, then we need to honor Him in the fear of the Lord. So, listen to Leviticus 26. Because, again, we go back to the law. We go back to when God gave them the opportunity to know that they will have blessing or else they will have curse. And here it says in Leviticus 26, verse 36, And as, as for those of you who are left, I will send faintness into their hearts in the lands of their enemies. In other words, in not too long, you're going to be going to Babylon as captives. The sound of a shaken leaf shall cause them to flee. They shall flee as though fleeing from a sword, and they shall fall when no one pursues. They shall stumble over one another as it were before a sword uh, when no one pursues. And you shall have no power to stand before your enemies. You shall perish among the nations, and the land of your enemies shall eat you up. And those of you who are left shall waste away in their iniquity in your enemies' lands. Also in their father's iniquities, which are with them, they shall waste away. Prophetic about Judah. For in the not too distant future, they would be on their way to Babylon. 
Well, as for the prophet Jeremiah up to this point, he was a free man as we saw that he hadn't been arrested yet, but, but things rapidly changed for him as well. And it happened in verse 11, by the way, in Jeremiah 37. It happened when the army of the Chaldeans left the siege of Jerusalem for fear of Pharaoh's army. And again, that wasn't so much that they were afraid and running away from the uh, Pharaoh's army. They were, you know, in fear that here they are trying to seize Jerusalem and, and, you know, here comes this army. So, boom, they go over there to deal with Pharaoh's army. That Jeremiah went out of Jerusalem to go into the land of Benjamin to claim his property there among the people. And when he was in the gate of Benjamin, now this is in Jerusalem, by the way, it's a northern gate of Benjamin, uh, a captain of the guard was there whose name was Irijah, the son of Shelemiah, the son of Hananiah. And he seized Jeremiah the prophet, saying, You are defecting to the Chaldeans. And then Jeremiah said, False, I'm not defecting to the Chaldeans. But he did not listen to him. So Irijah seized Jeremiah and brought him to the princes. Therefore the princes were angry with Jeremiah. And they struck him and they put him in prison in the house of Jonathan the scribe, for they had made that the prison. That was actually uh, 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 made up from a series of, of cisterns, so it was actually some deep wells that had become a, a, a place or a room or a, a, an office, as it were, of, of one of the scribes. But uh, because it was like a dungeon, they threw Jeremiah into it. Now, there are some commentators who believe that Jeremiah may have been a step ahead of the Lord, or trying to get a step ahead of the Lord in going home to the land of Benjamin. Remember, he was from Anathoth, and Anathoth is in, in the land of Benjamin, to carry out some unknown business there while the Babylonian siege was, was over for a moment. In other words, the Babylonians weren't bothering anybody anymore, so he thought, well, I'll just go home and you know, get some business done. Uh, but as he was attempting to leave Jerusalem through that northern gate that would face the land of Benjamin, the sentry, who is Elijah, the grandson, notice, of the false prophet Hananiah. We met Hananiah back in chapter 28, and he was no friend of Jeremiah. So this Elijah, the grandson of this prophet, or false prophet, detained, arrested Jeremiah for desertion and for treason. Now, the very idea that Jeremiah would desert to the Babylonians was preposterous. Well, he was the most patriotic of all the Jewish people because he was listening to God. No one else was. And the prophet strongly denied the vicious charge. I'm not a, you know, I'm not defecting here. But Elijah refused to listen, perhaps because Jeremiah had predicted the death of his grandfather, Hananiah. If you remember back in Jeremiah 28, verse 15, it says, The prophet Jeremiah said to Hananiah, the prophet, Hear now, Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you, but you make this people trust in a lie. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will cast you from the face of the earth. This year you shall die, because you have taught rebellion against the Lord. And notice verse 17. So Hananiah the prophet died the same year in the seventh month. Jeremiah just, you know, because he was under the influence of the Holy Spirit, because he was, uh, as, as the prophet of God, speaking the truth to a false prophet, saying, this is going to happen to you. Came from the Lord, and it happened. God's prophets were 100% accurate all the time. Why do we know that? Because any false prophet speaking even one false prophecy could be, con could be condemned to stoning and death. That was the law. Well, there were many false prophets at the time. 
one true, one true prophet there, and he, he says, you're going to die within the year, boom. Vamanos. Gone. So taking the prophet into custody, Elijah escorted him to the officials who were furious that Jeremiah had attempted to leave the city. And so they angrily flogged him, they beat him, and they imprisoned him in the house of Jonathan, the secretary, or a scribe. And as I said, Jonathan's house had been converted into a prison, either because all the other prisons were overflowing, or because a special prison was needed for political prisons, or prisoners during that time of war. Or maybe just because it was uh, a cistern that had been converted into a dungeon cell. Well, Jeremiah remained in this dungeon pit for a long while, as we see in the next passage, verse 16. It says, when Jeremiah entered the dungeon and the cells, and Jeremiah had remained there many days, many days. Then Zedekiah the king sent and took him out. The king asked him secretly in his house. Notice again, remember that Zedekiah had sent messengers first to ask him to pray? This time he comes, but he comes in secret. And he, and he brings Jeremiah to his house secretly and he says to him, Is there any word from the Lord? And Jeremiah said, There is. Then he said, You shall be delivered into the hand of the king of Babylon. That was a word. Pure and simple. Straightforward. To the point. Boom. Because that was the word, wasn't it? Notice two things about Jeremiah before Zedekiah. First of all, how tempting it would have been to tell Zedekiah what he wanted to hear, merely to save his own skin. Is there a word from the Lord? Oh, yes, Zedekiah. Give me a minute. (laughs) And then try to, you know, try to help himself out. But take notice that Jeremiah doesn't compromise one bit. Secondly, Jeremiah answers Zedekiah's question immediately and without hesitation. You shall be delivered into the hand of the king of Babylon. What more was there to say? Jeremiah had already declared this message a number of times, only to see it rejected. But there was more. Look at verse 18. Moreover, Jeremiah said to King Zedekiah, What offense have I committed against you? Against your servants? Or against this people that that you have put me in prison? Where now are your prophets who prophesied to you, saying, The king of Babylon will not come against you or against this land. Therefore, please hear now, O Lord my king. Please let my petition be accepted before you. And do not make me return to the house of Jonathan the scribe, lest I die there. Jeremiah by this time was an older, older man. Not the young man that we met in the earlier chapters. The fact that this dungeon was cold and damp was probably going to lead to his death anyway and so notice verse 21 Zedekiah the king commanded that they should commit Jeremiah to the court of the prison and that they should give him daily a piece of bread from the baker's street by the way did you know that that's the this is the only time in scripture that you see a name given to any street in Jerusalem baker street until all the bread in the city was gone. 
Thus Jeremiah remained in the court of the prison. The court of the prison, by the way, was um, the prison in the palace. Uh, the quarters were a lot better than the dank and dark dungeon. Jeremiah asked Zedekiah what he had done to deserve imprisonment. You see, his prophecies had proved to be true, whereas the messages of the prophets who predicted that Nebuchadnezzar would not invade the land had proven false. So the false prophets were already proven false. And yet they were, uh, they were the ones who were free, while Jeremiah was the one in prison. Kind of a strange thing, isn't it? I was watching something interesting on YouTube yesterday. Of uh, goes back to uh, May, I believe, when uh, we had in the United States our National Day of Prayer. And uh, I, I, uh, I was hearing this, this uh, report of, of uh, a couple of pastors, African-American pastors, who uh, were arrested uh, in what was considered or was called a restricted area near the White House because they were on their knees praying for President Obama. They were arrested. Two African-American pastors. And they were arrested, again, because they said that they were in some restricted area. And when asked why they were doing what they were doing, they said, well, we, we realized that uh, President Obama had not gone to any, any uh, activities or any of the, uh, of the uh, scheduled uh, uh, National Day of Prayer events that were being held. And so we just wanted to come and pray for him over here. And they were arrested. Interesting, isn't it? They were doing what they believed God had called them to do, to pray for their president, and yet they get arrested. Here Jeremiah is just doing what God had called him to do, which was to prophesy the word of God to the king. And prophesy he did for years upon years upon years, but they didn't listen to him. So he did what was right and was put in prison. Something's wrong with the world, isn't it? When things like this happen. You see, the false prophets were the traitors, not Jeremiah. The false prophets have betrayed the king and the people by lying to them in preaching a false message of peace and security. And so Jeremiah pleaded with the king not to send him back to that damp and foul dungeon lest he die there. And so what does the king do? The king shows compassion to the prophet by moving him to the palace prison instead and, and commanded that he be fed a daily piece of bread as long as bread remained in the city. As long as there was bread in the city, Jeremiah would be able to get bread every day. Now Zedekiah is a picture here of a tragic figure. A tragic figure. One who is seemingly attracted to the prophet Jeremiah and his message. You see, Zedekiah wasn't like the other kings. He, he wasn't a good king. But uh, he wasn't as wicked as Jehoiakim was. Remember Jehoiakim, last, the last time we were in Jeremiah, burned the scroll? Burned the word of God? Zedekiah 
So here's someone who is seemingly attracted to the prophet and his message, and yet is never able to summon enough resolve to act in response to that message. Reminds me of the Herods who listened to John the Baptist and who listened to Jesus. Or to Pontius Pilate who listened to Jesus say that he had been born and, and the cause for why he was born was that he would give testimony to the truth. And Pontius Pilate would only say, what is truth? But Jesus was truth. What happened to Pontius Pilate, who was like Zedekiah very much, a waverer, somebody who wavered and, and, and made, had, you know, made a decision and changed his mind or whatever, like so many today. But Zedekiah wasn't able to summon enough resolve. It, it just, you know, we talk about January being the, the month of resolutions. <clears throat> That's where that word resolution comes from, the word resolve. To resolve. I'm going to resolve to do something and stick to it. Stay with it. I'm going to do this. He hears God's word. He sees the prophet of God. But he doesn't respond to it. He doesn't move toward what is true and what is right to do. So he represents then a pattern of persons whose rejection of the purposes of God through their weakness of character is every bit as damaging and every bit as damning as the aggressive rebellion of the previous king Jehoiakim. Weak character will then be equal to wickedness. No resolve. No courage to do what is right. No courage like Joshua was commanded to be courageous. To know that God would be with him. That God would never leave him nor forsake him. You know, when I hear that, I'm, you know, I think every one of us could be courageous if we know God's not going to leave us nor forsake us. But when we cower to the things of the world, when we cower to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, when we cower to the things of, of, of the enemy, when we cower to these things, there's no resolve to follow through and to do what is right. And Zedekiah is a picture, a tragic picture of someone of weak character who just rejects the purposes of God through their weakness of character. Remember now, remember this. Here's a man who was a master of indecision and a master of wavering. A man who struggled in wanting to hear the word of God and yet asked that prayers be made to God. You know, it reminds us of James, <clears throat> James's double-minded man in James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. If anyone of you, if any of you lacks wisdom, this is what James writes. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and, and without reproach and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith. Notice, ask in faith without doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. One wind blows this way and there we go this way. One wind blows that way and there we go that way. And not steadfast, immovable, unwavering 
Knowing that God is with us. Knowing that we have His Word. Knowing that we have His, His, His promises. Knowing that we have His very presence with us. But notice verse 7. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man. Unstable in all of his ways. Unstable. When we ask God to give us wisdom to conquer some trial or temptation, we must ask in faith and not waver. We must believe that God loves us and that He really cares and will hear our cries and prayers and meet our every need. Can you believe that? I hope you do. I'm I'm hoping you're awake with me. We, be, we must believe that God loves us and that He really cares and will hear our cries and prayers and meet our every need. When we pray and when we cry out to God, we cannot doubt. That is, we cannot ask and then wonder if God really exists. We cannot ask and then wonder if God is really going to hear. We cannot ask and then wonder if God can really do what we ask. We cannot ask and then wonder if we really know God well enough for Him to hear us. And we cannot ask and then wonder if the request is the will of God. Such doubting cannot be heard by God. God cannot answer the prayer of a doubting person. Remember we talked about this earlier? God doesn't answer some prayers. Why? Because, well, let me say this. God cannot answer the prayer of a doubting person because if He did, then He would be rewarding doubt. Listen carefully. Rewarding those who do not believe or trust Him. He would be rewarding those who doubt, who ignore, who neglect, who question, and in many cases curse, deny, and fight against Him. You've got to believe. You've got to believe God. You've got to believe Jesus and every promise He made. And as we're going to learn this weekend, as we begin our study in the book of Genesis on Saturday and Sunday, You've got to believe that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Because if you can believe that, you can believe everything that is in God's Word. I want to close with Hebrews 11, verse 6, because I want you to be encouraged to trust the Lord. I want you to be encouraged to believe in everything that He says. Because you see in Hebrews 11 verse 6 it says, But without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. He is a rewarder of those who diligently, diligently seek Him. What does it mean to diligently seek Him? What does it mean to be diligent? To be dedicated. To be devoted. 
to the cause of Christ. Dedicated and devoted to the cross of Christ. The cause of Christ, the cross of Christ. To be devoted to the love of Christ. To be devoted to everything that Jesus is. He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Zedekiah had the opportunity, just like everybody else. But he wavered. And he'd rather listen to all of his buddies rather than listen to God. Or like the many would rather listen to their feelings rather than listen by faith to God. We're not, Christians don't live, we don't live and move by feeling. We live and move by faith. We trust God. Doesn't mean that we're not feeling, but feeling is something that's pulled along, not what moves us along. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. Trusting God. There was a whole nation that Jeremiah was dealing with that had stopped trusting the Lord. There was a remnant, but the majority of the people had failed God so much that God was now saying, it's time. Your opportunity to repent is over. I won't hear your prayers now. But I care enough for you. I'm going to send you into captivity for 70 years. And you'll cry. And you'll hang your harps on the trees in Babylon. And you'll stop singing because you know what you did. was hurtful to the God that loved you and chose you. So when they came back 70 years later, as the different groups started coming back from Babylon, they started approaching humbly. And they started approaching with song. They sang not in pride, they sang in humility. And they honored God again. So there's always hope. There's hope for the waverer. Waverer. There's hope for the one who's indecisive. There's hope even for the sinner. Shall we pray?